right. Can you guys hear me all right? All right. Well, I want to welcome everybody. Glad to be here together. Um, you know what I actually want to do here right now? You know, with Thanksgiving being this week, what I wanted to do to start off our, our service is just to kind of have uh, a, a quiet meditation on gratitude. So what I, want, what I want to do is actually we're just going to kind of pause here for a minute just for you to quietly in your of yourself, pray, thank, you know, turn your attention to something you're grateful for, people you're grateful for, whatever, and let's have, let's have a time here just to kind of focus our minds on gratitude for a minute, and then I'll say a prayer and we'll get into the rest of the sermon, okay? So let's just take a minute here, think about what you're thankful for, and say a prayer to God. God, I just really want to thank you so much for the chance to be here and to uh, and to praise your name together. Uh, God, thank you for this time of year and the focus on gratitude. Uh, Father, I pray that it, uh, that you will turn our hearts and our attention, not just on Thursday uh, and not just this one time of the year, God, but, uh, but in general that you will turn our attention to all that we have to be grateful for. Father, I know that you desire for us uh, to be grateful people, that you use gratitude to transform our hearts and our thinking. And so I pray... Uh, I, I do pray that, that, that even with this in mind, that you will turn us, uh, turn our attention to you and to your word here uh, as we uh, as we engage with you tonight. We love you in your Son, Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. Uh, amen. Well, uh, do want to ask you just to keep Kelsey in your prayers. She's actually uh, she's actually heading over to go see her doctor uh, right now. There's some concerns there, so just keep her. Uh, actually, I'm going to say a quick prayer for her. Just I'm, I'm a little distracted. Uh, Father God, I do pray that you just have your hand over my wife and the baby right now. Uh, I pray, God, that you will give the doctors great wisdom, that you will, uh, that you'll continue to protect them as you have, uh, over, uh, over the last nine months and, and over the last week especially. Uh, I pray that you will, uh, you'll just, uh, keep watch over them right now as they drive to the hospital. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm in a unique situation here. Never thought I would be in, but we're gonna, we're going to move through this. My wife told me to go ahead and preach and that they will keep me posted. Um, so we're going to do that. Um, just trying to listen to my wife, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so this is, this is going to be 100% out of weakness. <laughs> so, um, well, if you are joining us now, glad to have you guys. We are uh, in the middle of a preaching series that we've been doing, as Herman brought up, called Seven People Who Help You to Heaven. That the road to get to heaven is meant to be filled with relationships. And really that, that we need all these different types of relationships if we're going to make it to heaven. Uh, God never meant for this to be a lonely journey that we make by ourselves. That it's one that he, he designed to be filled with different types of people that draw us back to Him and to His truth. And we're, we're about halfway through the series. 
And uh, we've covered a lot of different things. You know, Herman actually hit him, so I'm not going to say too much about it. But the last three that we've done so far is the visionary, the prophet, and the encourager. Uh, the visionary being somebody that, that sees God's picture in a bigger way than us, helps us to think with godly vision. Uh, the, the prophet, somebody that speaks the truth and love to us. And the encourager, somebody that, that draws us back to the truth, helps us to believe in ourselves when we're discouraged, all those different things. And uh, I want to just kind of open it up for a moment for people to share. No, we don't normally do this on a Sunday, like to save this for midweeks usually. But for people to share maybe what you've learned or something maybe you've tried to do differently as a result of the things that we've talked about so far in this series. Any hands? I know I'm surprising everybody. It's very uncomfortable. So, so maybe think about it. Like, what, have you, what do you feel like you've taken so far from what we've, what we've talked about over the last uh, several weeks? Go ahead, Sean. Okay. So just thinking through our relationships to see, you know, where those people are. Okay? Anything else? Gonzalo. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Following the example around me of people who encourage and making sure I pass it on. Okay, amen. Just noticing when people are encouraging that we gotta encourage others as well, okay? Lewis, last one. Uh, you know, I, I think I went through this type of classes twenty years ago when I after you're in my early days of a disciple. And uh, I took it to the heart to have those kind of people in my life and he helped me to go through my life as a disciple. And 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 and, and that was uh, I, I'm glad that I put that in practice in my life. So I want to encourage everybody to start looking in your life who are the visionary, the prophet, the encourager, because this will carry you. That's what God wants to do to you. Build ourselves to build ourselves with people so that help us in a walk with him. Amen. Amen. And yeah, like, like Lewis is saying, that the, really what this is designed for is for us to evaluate the relationships in our lives to see if you already have people in your life that are these things, then amen. And you need to, and we need to think about those relationships and be grateful for those relationships and take advantage of them. But if you're missing some of these relationships, or you feel like, man, I need to, I need to go after getting a visionary in my life. Then to pray and to really go after seeking those kinds of relationships to, to fill those gaps with us. And today we're going to be discussing the relationship. We're going to move on to the fourth one, the relationship of the advisor. And it's kind of on the heels of what we talked about when we talked about prophets, somebody that speaks the truth and love to you. Then an advisor is somebody, is somebody that gives you, uh, the, the, it's a relationship that we actively, where we actively seek wise insight, godly counsel, and practical advice in the decisions and challenges we face, we face both large and small. And you know, the Bible is very clear that we need this relationship. We need, we need, matter of fact, the Bible actually talks about, we don't just need one of these types of people. You need lots and lots of these kinds of people. This is one of the few relationships specifically that we're talking about of the seven that says, man, you need many of these. The Bible is full of examples of advisors. And it's a major theme of the book of Proverbs. It talks about, man, if you have plans, it doesn't talk about, man, if you want to make it to heaven. He says, if you have plans of any kind, they succeed, with advisors. God wants us 
to be successful in life, but he wants it to be through godly advice. And to get into this discussion, I want to start by looking at the importance of what wisdom is in the Bible. And in the book, Sam gives a really, really cool definition of what wisdom is actually supposed to mean. I'm going to show you here in just a second. What wisdom is, if we look at the godly examples of it, is it's practical and effective application of the Bible in specific life situations. So let's clarify that here for a second. So wisdom is not intellect. It's not being smart. It's not how well you know scriptures. You can know the Bible forwards and backwards, be the smartest one in the room, and be the least wise person in the room. Wisdom has way more to do with our ability to discern life and our choices and apply scriptures to it. So it's not book smart. It's the ability to know, man, this is how God would want me to use the Bible in this circumstance in my life. I want to look at at some Proverbs here real quick. So if you got your Bible, turn over to Proverbs chapter 3. So you know that, uh, that Solomon... Solomon was considered one of the greatest kings of all time. He loved wisdom, and wisdom was a big theme of Proverbs. We're going to pick up in verse 13 here. And then we're going to skip over to the next chapter and read another piece of this. All right, in verse 13 of Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold fast, hold her fast will be blessed. Now skipping over to chapter 4 real quick. In verse 5. It says, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. We'll stop there. So in the first passage here, Solomon paints a very poetic picture of how valuable wisdom is. You know, the Bible always describes the best and most valuable things as a she. You notice that? God places high, high value on a she. There's no dollar amount to the value of wisdom is what the Bible is telling us. There's no amount of money you will ever own that could replace the value of wisdom. I love how it describes in chapter 3, it says that wisdom is a tree of life. It produces peace. No matter how much money you have, you can never buy peace. It says it produces honor. Again, no matter how successful you are in life, you don't necessarily have honor. Wisdom is the road to this. And then in chapter 4, Solomon even doubles down. He calls wisdom supreme. And he says, and it's worth everything you have. Make her a top priority of your life. And he says it will affect every single area of your life that counts. Not just your spiritual life. 
your academic life, your careers, your marriages, your families, all of your relationships. Wisdom is supreme. It's worth everything you have. It is key to living a life of righteousness. But the Bible says that one of the main paths to wisdom is advisors. God's word is perfect. Amen? Amen. And it gives us all the principles of holiness and righteousness that we need in life. But, it doesn't address every specific situation or circumstance in our day-to-day life, does it? The Bible doesn't tell you what to do with your smartphones. Or your 401ks. The Bible doesn't tell us what to do about a lot of specific things in our life. So what does God do? God sends others who are full of the Spirit to fill in those gaps. In Proverbs 19, verse 10, it says, Listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. The key to wisdom is by trusting spiritual advisors in our lives. If you're going to be wise in life, if you're going to enjoy the fruits and all the values of wisdom, you need some good advice. But as true as this is, it's also hard for us to seek and take advice. Right? And really, this goes back to even our very first sermon when we talked about God's plan. You know, he says, God's perfect plan. Does anybody remember what it was? God's perfect plan is one imperfect person helping another imperfect person make it to heaven. But there's a problem with that. That means I've got to trust imperfect people to give me godly advice. So if I'm going to be wise, as God tells me to be wise... I have to trust God to use you, imperfect person, to help me to be wise. And I don't know about you in life, but I've also gotten some bad advice. I've gotten a lot of bad advice. Every time I go to a store that offers me a credit card, I'm getting bad advice. Right? Television is full of bad advice. A lot of the friendships that I've had in my life gave me bad advice. But really, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change that fact. That God still uses one imperfect person to help another imperfect person to make it to heaven. Actually, in Ephesians, what God, what Paul communicates to us about our relationships is that we submit to one another, not because you're worth it and you're so valuable and you're so smart and you're so wise. It's I submit to you out of my reverence for Christ. But the truth is, we, re- we resist advice for two reasons and only two. Right? The first reason is folly. Proverbs 12, verse 15, it says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. What folly really communicates, what it really is for us, is we don't know how much we don't know. Do you know how much you don't know? No. Sound like a Dr. Seuss rhyme. I didn't mean that on purpose. <laughs> that really the reality is, is, is folly means we don't even think about getting advice about things in our life. Oftentimes until it's too late. And I'm sure if you go back to your life, especially when you were a teenager, that tends to be full of opportunities to learn folly. 
That you can think of stories where you were like, man, that, was, that probably would have been a really good time for me to go get some advice. You know, when, when Kelsey and I had first, uh, we were about a year into our marriage, we got our first credit card. And uh, yeah, all good stories start there, right? Um, and we went to a, 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 a store that was nearby that was selling televisions. Because we only had this little bitty, you know, glass old school, like the back is like that deep, you know, television and stuff. So like, hey, let's, let's go for an upgrade. And they had a sale on a, on a 42 inch plasma screen. And I didn't want to do their financing, so I did the math and, you know, I worked it all out and stuff. I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy it on our credit card. And in three months it'll be paid off. Right? Three months. It was planned. You know, I thought through it. I thought. And then Kelsey's job situation changed. And then my job situation changed all within that three months. And that three months ended up being more like eight or nine. And we were, we were working on credit card debt all during that time because we didn't get any advice. I look back on that and go, man, that was folly. I was a fool. It was something as simple and small as a television, but it ended up dramatically affecting my life if I had just been smart enough to get advice. The other reason, and maybe the more important reason for us to pay attention to, the reason why we don't get advice is pride. Proverbs 13.10, when there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Pride tells us we think we know better. We trust ourselves more than we trust others. Maybe even to some degrees kind of legitimately. right? That Maybe you did get some bad advice through your life. And so you say, man, I can't really, I don't know how much I can really count on people. And so it's, I'm better off trusting me and I just got to live with my consequences. But we don't trust, what that means is though, is that we don't trust God. It has nothing to do with people. It means we don't trust God to use the people in our lives to help us. If God used a donkey to save Balaam's life, he can use one of you. He can use me. But the other side of it too is that oftentimes we don't get advice because we just don't want to hear what we don't want to hear. Right? I want people to agree with me. I want, I want to hear, I want to hear that what I, what I want to do with my life, it's right, it's good. Keep on going, Jake. You know, one of the best ways to tell if this is getting in the way of this is asking ourselves a question. How often do you seek advice? How often do you seek out godly people to give you advice about things in your life? If the answer is not very much, then I'll bet that's your problem. But I want us to look at an example in the Old Testament to help us consider this. To consider what happens when we do trust godly advisors. Turn your Bible over to Exodus chapter 18. So this is the Israelites, they're out, of, they're out of Egypt, they're on their way to the promised land. Moses' father-in-law hears how things are going and he stops in for a visit. He's hanging out with his son-in-law. Let's pick up in verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. 
Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships that they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord has done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people of the, from the hand of the, of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a, a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do, you, why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and those people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Let's pause there for a moment. All right. So the Israelites are out of Egypt, going to the promised land, and God had been doing some awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Manna was falling from the sky every day. Water had come out of a rock. Uh, they had just finished beating the Amalekites in their first major battle. It's the story of Moses raising his hands up. And when his hands were raised, they were winning the battle. When his hands would fall down, they would lose. And they won the battle. So God had done some pretty incredible things up to this point. And he's clearly showing favor to Moses and to the Israelites. And so he shows up, Jethro shows up to encourage him and praise God together. But in that process, he stumbles upon a little practice that Moses had gotten into. That he had been, he had basically been in the habit of being Judge Judy for the Israelites. It says they would bring disputes to him on a daily basis. Okay, now, mind you, there are millions of Israelites. Millions of them. And Moses is being the one guy for all of Israel to solve problems. Just imagine that. Imagine that every day you went to go sit up in your chair while you listened to domestic disputes. This person didn't pay me this. This guy stole my sheep. Like every little thing that could go wrong, that's what Moses was taking care of. So naturally, his father-in-law is looking at this going, what are you doing? This is stupid. And he starts asking some questions. He wasn't that, he wasn't that blunt and unrighteous like me. He starts asking you some questions. But I want us to keep in mind something here before that. Moses had been directly communicating with God through this whole process. Okay? Think about the burning bush. The plagues. God had been directly speaking to Moses. Had been doing things through him all during this process. Okay? So God was, or Moses was literally God's chosen instrument at the time. And that's even part of why people were going up to him. Because they're like, hey, we trust that God is speaking through you and we want to do things God's way, so we're going to come to you with everything big and small. So Jethro, Jethro sees this and says, this is a bad plan. Not a good idea, guys. You're going to wear yourself out doing this every day. 
Maybe Moses had gotten it into his head at the time that nobody else could do it. Maybe he thought, I'm the, I'm the only guy, God's the only, only talking to me, so maybe I'm the guy that's got to solve it all. Maybe there was a little bit of pride and some ego involved. You know, maybe he kind of liked being the guy. You know, we all kind of like being the guy or the girl. You know, being the one that people come to and ask questions to. There's a little bit of ego that gets stroked in that. Think about the times of your life that you did something, though, with the best of intentions. Right? With good intentions. You you planned to, to do something you thought would maybe be righteous or maybe be good for your family or good for your business. Whatever it may be. But then you realize later on, dude, that was not the right call. So what God did here is he used Moses' father-in-law, who is not speaking directly to God or performing miracles like Moses, to show up and give him advice. Let's, let's finish reading what he says here. We left off at 18. It says, listen now to me, and I will give you some advice whether it was welcomed or not. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. But teach them teach them His decrees and instructions and show them the way to live and how they're to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for all the people at all time, for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own, to his own country. Alright. So Moses gets advice, and the advice is, look, dude, you gotta delegate some of this stuff. There's millions of people here. You can't be the guy for everything. You know, we might look at this situation and go, duh. This wasn't a good plan to begin with, right? But remember, Moses was speaking directly with God, and Jethro wasn't. He could have looked at this situation as father-in-law's unwelcomed advice, maybe. Or uninvited advice would be a better way to say it. And said, who do you think you are? Do you know who I am? Are you saying my plan is stupid? I know what I'm doing, and it's been working so far. Just back off. I got this. But if he had he would have missed out on what God was trying to teach him through someone else. And if you know the story of Moses, eventually, he snapped. Right? Moses struggled with this more than once. It actually shows up in Numbers, and God has to remind him to do the exact same thing that Jethro told him to do here. Matter of fact, he tells him, you need to pick the people that you've already picked to do their job. And later on, when he's going frustrated with the people, he smacks the the rock for water again, and he gets kept out of the promised land in the process. But you know what? If he hadn't listened to his father-in-law here, maybe that would have happened a whole lot sooner. 
You could imagine that dealing with millions of people on a daily basis, you would probably get a little worn out. Feel like, you know, I don't really want this job anymore. Bump you guys, here's your water. You know, the Lounsbury's, Stephen Carey Lounsbury are leaders uh, out in our church in, in L.A. But they, uh, they were in a discipling relationship with my wife and I for years and years. And when we were still dating, I remember we got together with them. And, uh, and we had moved out from Florida. You know, she would followed me about a year later and stuff like that. And we had issues in our dating relationship. Lots of issues. And one of the things that they encourage us to do is we're going from a situation where we're around each other like every day, whether we wanted to be around each other or not. And the Lounsbury's advice, basically, as you know, I'm, I'm dumbing everything down to, one of the things that they told us to do was spend less time together and you will feel more connected to each other. Spend less time together just thinking about you and your relationship. Do more things where you're thinking about God, where you're giving to other people, have, go on awesome dates, really have time where you give to each other, make them special, but spend way less time together than you're doing. Everything about the logical brain said, this isn't going to work. I'm going to feel closer by not being with her. You get my logic, right? I mean, that makes sense. So I've kind of fought the advice. We kind of like had to wrestle with it a little bit. But after doing it, doing what they said, we started realizing this works. This actually was really good spiritual advice. This thing that was contradictory to everything that my nature wanted, everything that, that people would tell you is normal and will help you to be close together, was doing the opposite of what we wanted. And you know, and if we hadn't listened, there's no telling where our relationship would have been at the time. Where it would be now. But it took somebody that was more spiritual and wise than me to tell me to see, no, the way that you're thinking about this, it's wrong. And if you don't change it, you're going to hurt your relationship. And the truth of the matter is, this is the great example about why we need spiritual advisors in our life. We're not made to figure this all out on our own. I want to be a great husband, but to my nature, I'm not a great husband. I want to be a great father. But you know what? I've never raised three kids before. I need a lot of help if I'm going to do this righteously. And so I want to, I want to wrap up here by going through some practicals with this. Because I know, I know this can be a touchy subject. How we feel about advice, it can make us feel a lot of different things. So I want to go through a couple, a few practicals here together. Alright, let's talk about what advice doesn't mean. Advice does not mean that all advice is good or right. It doesn't mean that everything somebody tells you is the way you ought to go. Which bleeds into the next point. Because not every advisor is a good advisor. In Proverbs 13.10 it says, You walk in the way of fools, you're going to be a fool. You walk in the way of the wise, you'll be wise. You know what that tells me with what we're talking about? You could get advice from some people who stink at advice. So it's a good thing to consider. It doesn't mean that everything that somebody tells you is what you ought to follow. You ought to consider who your advisors are. I want you to think, actually, going back to that here, this is last, I'll bring this up. So you think, if, if you have chest pain, you don't go to a doctor who specializes in feet. 
Right? You know, if you're feeling, if you're feeling chest pain, you don't go see a dentist. No offense to Lewis. He's a very smart man. You need to seek people that are spiritual and you can consider their way of life and the outcome of what they've been living. Alright? The next thing. It does not mean you just accept everything blindly. What do I mean by that? It, taking advice doesn't mean you don't ask questions. It doesn't mean you don't express concerns. It doesn't mean you don't have doubts. All those things are a part of getting advice. And also, it doesn't mean that you don't pray about it. What James 1 says is it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he ought to pray and ask the Father who gives it generously. The only things I try to do is I try to pray about the people I want to go get advice from. God, I pray that you will help this person to give me advice that will lead me to you. And then I go get to pray about it before I make my own decision. And the last thing, advice does not mean that you get to blame others. Advice does not mean it's their fault because they told me I ought to do it. Advice means you've got to take responsibility. You get advice, but then you've got to own your decision. Whatever that decision is, it's yours. You don't get to blame your advisor afterwards. Alright? Next practical, who are some good advisors? Romans 15.14 actually gives us a nice little blueprint for this. It says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. This is basically Paul saying, these are the kind of people you want to get advice from. People who are full of goodness, who are filled with knowledge, who are competent. That means they know what they're talking about. You know, I want to clarify here. The internet should not be your primary source of advice. (laughs) Especially about things that matter. You know, if you go to WebMD because you're worried about something, that's fine. But when it comes to life, raising your kids should not be based on what you read on a mommy blog. Doesn't matter if it seems good at the time. You don't get to measure how they're actually raising their kids. You know, I love my family, but my family is not always the people I need to get advice from. Your family doesn't necessarily guarantee that they should be your primary advisors. And it definitely shouldn't be people who only tell you what you want to hear. And who won't challenge you. Amen? Alright, last little thing here. This is for the people that are trying to give advice. Okay? When you're advising, number one, don't be quick to air out your own opinion. Proverbs says that fools are quick to air out their own opinion. Sometimes the best thing for you to do is keep your mouth shut and you go, bro, I'm going to pray for you. And you don't need to tell everybody what you think. As part of that, you've got to know when you aren't the right person. You know, sometimes when people come to me with questions about retirement, I'm not the right person to ask. So I often direct them to other people. You know, it's a wise thing to go, you know what, bro? You know, sis, I would love to help you here. This is not my area of expertise. I would recommend you go talk to this person. They've done great with this. They can totally help you out with that. And then the last thing is don't get your feelings hurt. If somebody doesn't take your advice, so what? 
So what? That doesn't mean don't give advice. It doesn't mean you're not competent. People got to make their own choices. You know, I was going to list all these things that you should get advice about. I'm just going to say this. It should be about everything. (laughs) Big and small, from your spiritual life and your walk with God to your important relationships, to career choices, to how much money you should give on a Sunday, to, to how your finances do overall, every area of our life, guess what? God says that anybody who wants to have their plan succeed will get advice. Seek it out. I want to encourage this church, if you are not in the habit of seeking advisors, if maybe you've gotten out of the habit, you know, you kind of got some feelings hurt along the way, were disappointed by some things, and you've just gotten out of the habit, or maybe you've just never been good at it, let's change that around. Because I want this church to be full of wise people, and we got a lot of wise people in this room. But we need advisors if we're going to be successful in all the things that we do. I'm going to say a word of prayer here, and we're going to close out. Father, I just want to thank you so much that uh, that you have allowed us the opportunity to enjoy all these different relationships that help to pull us into righteousness. God, I pray that, that, that we will be men and women who are wise, that we will be people who, who seek godly advice. Father, I pray that you will, uh, that you will fill us with your spirit, help us to, to be a church that, that loves each other and helps to lead each other to the truth. We love you so much. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.